Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Thank you all so very much for tuning in once again. It is Saturday, and it is the last day of February, the last, uh, the 29th day of February in the leap year we got going here. So big, big day for uh, Joe Biden, potentially, over in South Carolina. They got that primary tonight, and um, if he doesn't perform outstandingly well, like mop the floor the way that Bernie Sanders did in Nevada, I don't see a path forward for him at all. Now, whether or not he'll actually just drop out, I don't think he's going to give up that easily, but um, he'll at least hang around until Super Tuesday. But man, if he doesn't um, make up some ground pretty quickly, it is over for him. And, you know, I've been saying all along, as the listeners of this show know, that I always thought he was dead on arrival. There is just no place for him in the Democratic Party anymore. But anyways, that's what's going on today. And, you know, I've been teasing an episode on occupational licensing for quite a while now, probably coming on two weeks And I promised to start this show off talking about that. And so that's what we are going to do today. And um, there's been a couple of articles that have come up. One is now probably like a month old at this point. And and it was just infuriating. But the the one that I saw, um, this was maybe a week ago, (laughs) that really caught my eye and is the perfect example of everything that is wrong with occupational licensing and just in terms of its absurdity, how unnecessary it is, its unintended consequences, where all of the, um, the origin of all of these occupational licensing laws come from in general, and all, all the things that libertarians tend to talk about in terms of the uh, negative effects of occupational licensing present themselves perfectly in this story. So I'm going to read from the article to start off. And it's titled, and and if you can get it, just take a guess which state this is going to come from when I say uh, the most insane occupational licensing law that you could think of. Pick a state. I'll give you a second to come up with a state. And if you thought California you would be correct because a new California bill would require occupational licenses for porn actors, strippers, and cam girls. 
That is the headline of this article. Adult performers are outraged at the proposed licensing requirements and have vowed to fight the bill. Okay. So this is from the article. On Tuesday, Assembly members Lorena Gonzalez, a Democrat of San Diego, and Christina Garcia, Democrat of Bell Gardens, introduced Assembly Bill AB 2389. The bill would require adult entertainers and video performers, including webcam performers, that's important when you think about this, to obtain a business license and complete a state-mandated training course before being allowed to ply their trade. Requirements for that training would be developed by the state's Department of Industrial Relations. Jesus Christ, they got a fucking department for everything, don't they? which in turn would be advised by a new 10-member governor-appointed board composed of two adult film actors, three dancers, two medical doctors, a therapist, (laughs) and a money manager. This training will be a minimum of two hours and will provide information on reporting workplace injuries, sexual harassment, and sex trafficking. Adult performers would be required to cover the cost of this training. The bill would also require that they be fingerprinted. Fingerprinted. Okay. The bill was, according to a staff member from Garcia's office, first proposed by the International Entertainment Adult Union. Shocking. A union representing strippers, adult actors, and adult film crews much to the chagrin of some of its chapters. That includes the Adult Performers Actors Guild, which has come out against the legislation put forward by their parent union. We are shocked, disgusted, and angry that our parent union did this without discussing it with the APAG, without discussing it with the industry, and without discussing it with the stakeholders, said APAG President Alan Evans. Nobody contacted us about this not the ieau not assemblywoman lorena lorena gonzalez who i met on tuesday to discuss ab5 gonzalez is the author of the controversial ab5 legislation that requires many gig economy workers to be classified as employees and not independent contractors and if you remember um that was a bill that that they came up with a few months ago that would basically force everybody who's working as an independent contractor to be classified as a full-time employee. And there was all sorts of negative effects that came from that. Apparently, she wasn't satisfied with just doing that much damage to the job market, so she's going to do a little more now. But anyway, back to the article. Evans has called for the board of the IEAU to resign. She says APAG will be filing a lawsuit as well. APAG raised a number of specific concerns on Twitter including that uh, by only making licensing provisions for those 21 and older bar sex workers under the age of 21 from the industry. They also expressed concern that the bill would force some performers to submit to licensing inspections at their homes if that's also their primary place of business. Gonzalez said on Twitter that she had introduced the bill at the behest of the IEAU and she would not vote for it as written. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, a staff for Garcia's office told Reason Magazine that the bill is in its early stages and contains several drafting errors. 
they're, they're talking about reducing the age to 18. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I think you guys get the, get the point here. Now, um, those are, sure, uh, I guess a, a couple of concerns, but they're not nearly the, the major concerns with this type of legislation. Uh, the, the rest of the article just makes it seems like if they iron out these kinks that that one um, actors guild union or whatever would be okay with it as long as they lower that age and, and they figure out, at, out some other details, you know. But it, it's no surprise, at least to a libertarian, that this legislation, that the, the push for this legislation was coming from a porn actors union. Now, why would a porn actors union be all for licensing requirements? Because you might say, well, then they have to go and get everybody licensed, and that's going to be kind of a pain in the ass or whatever. But you see, I have, I mean, if, if anybody's keeping up with the porn industry these days, you, you might suspect that these big unions and all of this professionally produced pornography might be struggling a little bit compared to years past because it has never been easier for somebody to just set up a webcam in their bedroom or whatever and set up some sort of online payment system where people can subscribe to them and pay them to do whatever they want. They can chat with them directly and ask them to do all kinds of weird stuff and they'll do it if you, if you send them enough money and stuff like that. So I'm sure that's cutting into a lot of the, the pornography business. And it's just there's no shortage of people now that will set up their own thing in front of a webcam. And, and, and you can post your own stuff to, to sites. And there's, you know, I, I'm sure it's wreaking havoc for these professional porn, pornography producers that have to compete with anybody in the world with an Internet connection and a webcam, right? So what, what can they do in order to uh, limit their competition a little bit? Well... As usual, they petition the government. They come, they go to their representative, and they say, "Look at, look at all these people practicing pornography without a license. Oh, this is dangerous. This is uh, there's all sorts of health risks, and we can't have this in society, right? We need them to be licensed. Like we're licensed, we're professionals. We can't just have any random person masturbating in front of a webcam, can we?" Of course not. It, it would be uh, reckless endangerment. You know, we need to have them get licensed for this. And here's what we think the requirements should be. And don't you want, don't you want to be for public safety and health and all that blah 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 blah, all that crap, right? When really all they're trying to do is throw up a roadblock to anybody that wants to start their own little pornography thing, right? And. and you know, it's going to come at a cost. They have to take a class, and I'm sure they, they'll have to maintain that license every year and pay to get that done, and they'll have to it, submit to inspections, get your bedroom inspected. Like, w what's that going to cost? So there's all sorts of costs that associated with this and all sorts of hurdles to prevent people from entering the industry, I guess you could say. And then they're going to set up... Okay, so they they got the Department of Industrial Relations... Why that is necessary, I have no idea. But they're going to have the training for this. They're going to train you on how to be a, a licensed porn star, I guess. 
<laughs> and then they're going to create a new 10-member governor-appointed board for each state, I guess. I don't know. Uh, composed of two adult film actors, three dancers, two medical doctors, a therapist, and a money man. Like, who needs any of this shit? What is this? And what kind, could you imagine those board meetings that they're going to have? They get together to go through uh, the, the training, what kind of training they're going to provide. Uh, what what sort of training does people does somebody need to masturbate on camera? Uh, this is just so absurd, and the jokes I mean they just write themselves. But this is a, just a perfect example of an an industry union afraid of competition using the government to shield them from competition and 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 sort of increase their stranglehold on an industry. Because they, they are no doubt losing their influence. They're losing their power. They're losing the stranglehold. I, why would anybody join this union now? Why are you going to pay union dues to some porn union when you can literally just set up your own shop and have people pay you directly? That money doesn't get taxed. The IRS has no way of tracking it or anything like that. And you can get paid in Bitcoin or any other uh, cryptocurrency if you wanted. There, so th there is all sorts of um, incentives for the government to get involved in this. Once you're licensed, now I'm sure they'll, they'll come up with some other thing where you have to start reporting that income. It also gives the government uh, the ability to collect fees on all of this sort of stuff. They get to build the bureaucracy, a whole industry around this uh, licensing uh, legislation. They get to enforce the rules, and they get to exert more power where they shouldn't be involved in the first place. Licensing laws is essentially when the government steals your right to do something and then sells it back to you. That's all this is. They, they make it illegal for you to do something, something that you have absolutely have the right to do, the God-given right to do. And they make that illegal, and then they sell it back to you for a price. And, and who, how are they going to regulate this, by the way? How are you going to possibly regulate? There's billions of fucking porn sites out there and porn uh, people acting, just putting stuff up on the Internet now. That's going to become illegal if you're you're practicing without a license. How How is this even? Oh, th this is just such a disaster. But it could only come from California. It could only come from government. It could only come from an industry trying to protect itself from competition. And this is always how these occupational licensing laws go. This is always where they start. It's always, it's never from some guy, you know, some happy customer, in this case, some guy jerking off in front of his computer, wondering whether or not these, uh, the, the girl that's on the other end of that webcam is licensed or whether or not that porn star is licensed <laughs> to practice porn. You think they give a shit about that? Could there be any other could there be anything more pointless than licensing a porn actress or actor? What is what could be and there are tons of these. I mean, I have a whole list of just the absurdity of these licensing laws. You need a license to braid hair, to do makeup, to make Floral arrangements. You need to be a licensed contractor to paint houses. You need a license to, I mean, a lemonade stand. You need a license to have a lemonade stand now. Massage therapists, 
auctioneers, interior design, strippers. As I said, strippers in Florida need a license. Now they're working on it in California. Locksmiths. I mean, how, how much farther can we take this? I mean, the list goes on and on. You get a bad haircut. Okay. Oh, the hair will grow back. It's not the end of the world. Why do you need to be licensed for that? A floral arrangement? Why do you need to be licensed to put flowers into a fucking vase? This is what, but, and who's coming up with this? You think somebody went into the barbershop, got a bad haircut, and then went to the government and said, you know, this guy was, wasn't licensed and I got a bad haircut. We should really do something about that. Of course not. It never is. It never comes from the customers. It's not like somebody got a bad floral arrangement and then they petitioned their congressman for, for stricter licensing in the flower industry. Okay, it comes from people that have already established a, a business in that area and they're afraid of competition. You know, a lot of people confuse people who run companies with free market capitalism. Okay, just because you have a company doesn't mean you're for free market competition. Absolutely not. Okay, and, and that's one of these things that these one of the negative unintended consequences of all these licensing laws is that it encourages businesses to lobby their government in, in pursuit of a, a stricter licensing laws or more licensing laws, because once they get that, um, once they have the license, you know, they have an incentive to make it harder and more expensive for other people to get a license so that it's harder for people to break into that industry, to, to cut into their profits, right? And this is just, it, and it's insane, the, the levels we've gone with this. It's absolutely insane. You know, um, that guy that was running for governor against Andrew Cuomo in New York, uh, Larry Sharp, and I think, you know, because I would take this a lot farther than most um, normal Americans. Like everyone, everyone listening right now is like, yeah, we don't need licensing for uh, porn stars. We don't need licensing for barbershops or floral arrangements. But we really need licensing for the important things like your doctor or your dentist or something like that, right? I would take it to that extreme where I, I don't even think we need it for that. But I think Larry Sharp had a pretty reasonable uh, approach to this, and it's a good way to sort of uh, get people on the on the path toward what I think would be the ultimate solution. And his thing was, you know, if you would ask your friend to do it, you don't need a license for it, right? Uh, a dog walking is another thing. You have to be a licensed dog walker, right? So if it's something that, or babysitting, if it's something that you would just ask your friend to do for you, hey, you know, I'm going to be out of town. Can you walk my dog? Can you babysit my dog? Can you... um you babysit my kid, whatever. If you would ask your friend to do it, then you shouldn't have, you shouldn't require a license for it, right? And that just seems pretty reasonable to me. But why would anybody need a license to, to do anything? Lawyers, another one. You, you can't practice law without a license, right? And a lot of people confuse licensing with the quality of, of the product or service they're providing. It's like, well, if you're licensed, then that automatically means that you're going to be good at what you do. And the reality of it is nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Just because you have a license doesn't mean you're good at what you do. It just means that you jump through all the hoops. 
you paid for all the the regulatory bullshit to get the license. You went to the classes, you went to the school, you paid your dues, you paid your government officials, and you got the license. So you can fill out paperwork. Congratulations. That doesn't mean you're good at cutting hair. That doesn't mean you're good at uh, you know braiding hair, putting on makeup, whatever. All it means is that you know how to jump through hoops. That's it. My building is the perfect example of all of this, actually. I live in a condo, and my condo is has been designated by the city of Chicago as a historical landmark, okay? And what that means, essentially, because it's the old Belmont Theater, okay? And they kept this facade up, and they converted it into condos in, like, the late 90s. So with that designation, what that essentially means is only not only do you have to be a licensed contractor to to work on the building but you have to have a specialized contracting license to work on historical buildings so they get to charge even more now that's all this licensing does is it allows the people with the license to shield themselves from competition and therefore they get to charge higher and higher prices because they're the only ones that can do it I mean, how many of these guys are going to be licensed to work on historical buildings? Why bother? There's not that many historical buildings out there. So anyways, uh, we have to pay an arm and a leg anytime something needs to get done uh, on the building. We have to hire these specialized, specialized contractors that are the, one, the ones that are licensed to work on a historical building. And then inside my place, HVAC guys, are you, I, I mean, I had... Uh, so I had to replace, I think I've mentioned it on the, on the show before, within like a five-month period, my air conditioner, my water heater, and my furnace. They all just went belly up, right? And, you know, you have to get licensed guys to install these things. Otherwise, it voids the warranty. And, you know, for the water heater, I just got some Polak to do it. Gave him a couple hundred bucks. It was fine. I mean, those things aren't that expensive. You can get a water heater for like 500 bucks. But when it comes to a furnace, a furnace costs, I mean, anywhere from, you know, $800, $1,000 on the low end to, depending on how crazy you want to go with it, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, probably even more if, if you really want to go that far. Just for the actual furnace, how much do you think it costs to get a licensed guy to install that furnace for you? The low end is about $3,500. Three times the price, three and a half times the price of the actual furnace itself is what it costs to get a licensed guy to come in there and hook the thing up for you. I mean, how complicated is it to hook up a, a furnace? I, I'm sure I could actually do it if I just watched a YouTube video. But if you spend $1,500, $2,000 on a furnace and something goes wrong with it and you don't have a licensed guy to install it, well, now all of a sudden you, you can't, you can't uh, exercise the warranty either. So that's kind of a risk that I personally was not willing to take. But the reason they can charge so much for that is because they're specialized now and they have the license. And, and you know you can't just get some guy off the street to do it. If you do, you, they'll do it for a lot less, like the guy with the water heater. I hired an illegal contractor, an unlicensed Polish guy, to come hook up my water heater for me. Big deal. It cost me like 300 bucks. How much harder is it to hook up a furnace than a water heater? It can't be that much more complicated. And like I said, licensing does not guarantee quality at all. I mean, that's just absurd. I, I just had a, a $2 million special assessment on my building. 
my portion of it was about $36,000. Do you want to know why? Why we had to we had to borrow $2 million to fix up our building? Well, these specialized historical uh, licensed contractors fucked up the entire building. They did the whole thing wrong. Apparently, they didn't seal any of this concrete properly. So they were having all kinds of water leaks and water was seeping in through the, the foundation and the roof and all this stuff and getting into places where it shouldn't be. And the more they looked into it, you know, the more of these problems that they addressed, the deeper the, the problems went. None of the balconies were sealed correctly. They ended up having to un redo basically the whole building, uh, reseal the whole building. It took six months. And it cost about a million dollars to do. <laughs> but what happened? Those guys were licensed. Well, why, why didn't they do the job properly? I mean, they had the government license. So what, what, what went wrong there? You see, the license doesn't guarantee any level of quality whatsoever. My building is the perfect example, and I've got the special assessment to fucking prove it. Anyway, if you can't tell, I'm still a little salty about all of this. What about all of these really important jobs that can't be left to unskilled labor. And now if I were to say anybody should be able to practice law without, regardless of whether or not they have a license, or anybody should be able to practice medicine regardless of whether or not they have a license, I bet that makes you feel very uncomfortable, doesn't it? I, I, I'm sure most of my listeners who are not um, fully on board with anarcho-capitalism, that makes you very uncomfortable. You know, the, you want your doctor to be licensed, right? Well, let me ask you this. For those of you with a doctor, right? Let's say um, your doctor has been practicing medicine for 20 years, okay? So he got licensed 20 years ago, all right? And he passed all those tests and, and paid all his dues or whatever. Now, how did you find out about your doctor? And when you did, did you look into it? Did you look into to whether or not he went to what medical school he went to or she went to and what kind of grades they got in the classes? Did they get straight A's? Were they top of their class? Or did they get by with C's? Right? Have they been keeping up with all of the, the medical journals and all the new stuff that comes out every year? Do they, do they keep their finger on the pulse with that? Or did they just complete the, the training or whatever 10, 20 years ago and they've just been practicing medicine the same way ever since. Do you know? Do you even ask? Or do you just assume because they have this license, this government license, that, well, they must be up to speed on everything. They must do a good job of keeping abreast of all the new medical uh, knowledge and journals that are out there and all the new tests and all, blah, 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 all that stuff, right? That, that's another thing that happens with these licenses. It, it creates a false sense of security. It tends to give people the impression that they don't need to do any research. They don't need to do any uh, due diligence with whatever they're about to do because this guy's got a license, so he, he must be good. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be good at what you do. That just means that you got the license. Nobody I know goes and looks through their doctor, like looks for their doctor based on what like whether or not they're licensed, what kind of grades they got in school, what school they went to, none of that. Uh, your lawyer the same way. Uh, what what did they get on the bar? Uh, they passed the bar. Okay, did they pass it their first time? They passed it their like fifteenth time. All right, what kind of grades did they get in law school? 
they, they keep up with the with the all, all the law journals and things like that. No, you you get recommendations from friends. Oh, my doctor, he's the best guy ever. I, I went to this guy, he did a good job. I was sick, he treated me. I, I went to this dentist, he did great work for me. Same thing with a lawyer. A lawyer gets you out of a jam, you'll recommend him to somebody else, right? We don't need licenses for these things. If you suck as a doctor and you're killing off your patients left and right or your patients come to you and you don't know what, how to treat them and your treatment makes things worse, how are they going to stay in business? How are they going to get doctors don't take ads out on TV or in the newspaper or anything. It's almost all word of mouth. Okay. Same thing with lawyers. All right. Same thing with lawyers. It, it's all referral business for them. And if they had a really shitty track record of keeping people out of prison, uh, of people losing cases, how are they going to get people to hire them? You think they can just point to their license and be like, oh, look, I'm licensed by the state of Illinois to practice law. Therefore, you should hire me. No, no. Who cares if they were licensed? What matters is the result. What matters is, are you good at what you do? I realize that that's a little farther than most people want to take it. That okay, fine. Let's start with Larry Sharp's thing. Would you ask a friend to do it? <laughs> okay, if so, then there should not be an occupational licensing law for this. I mean, th this only serves all of these laws only serve to hurt the, the the poorest people among us. As usual, almost every government intervention ha has this um, aspect to it. The poor, the middle class, they're the ones who hurt because now we have fewer doctors for you to see, fewer options, and they cost more money. Rich people can always afford to see a doctor. It's not going to affect them. They can pay whatever the going rate is for the best medical care on the face of the earth. But for poor people, for people who need routine things done, you don't need some fancy doctor with a really expensive license. But we have doctors and dentists doing so many things that nurses and and like lower skilled people could could do there's no reason a nurse can't do a lot of that stuff at a lower cost other than the fact that they're not licensed so i mean this drives up costs all over the place who who knows how much it's actually costing us when all is said and done i've seen some numbers uh, according to one article i was reading it was 203 billion dollars annually is is how much it drives up prices and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this in light of my last couple of episodes is because there's all sorts of um, people who are struggling right now, right? This is the whole democratic platform. Nobody can get ahead. It, you know, we need all these programs because people are, they're living in poverty. They're making minimum wage or they're, they're, you know, they're not making a living wage. So we need to raise the minimum wage and we need to come up with this pro uh, program and that program. And it turns out, I was reading this article, uh, this was on the, the Mises Institute, and it, it, it's titled, Why is it so hard to escape America's anti-poverty programs? And, I, and if you listen back uh, a few episodes, I talked about this. I talked about how these programs trap people in poverty. They, they never lift anybody out of poverty. They, they took a trend of free markets lifting people out of poverty and, and reducing the amount of people living in poverty, and they stopped it right in its tracks. It's just been fluctuating between 11 and 15% for the last uh, like 30, no, 50 years. 
since the 1970s, okay, late 60s, early 70s. And it turns out that there is a basically a what they call a dead zone. The dead zone is between 18 and $60,000 a year, basically. And what they mean by that is if you were receiving welfare benefits from the government, all of the things that you could receive in terms of benefit, if you add it all up, it's worth about $45,000. Okay, so as long as you're making less than $20,000, it makes sense to stay on government assistance unless you're going to make at least $60,000 a year. Because with $60,000 a year, and you remember, you have to pay taxes on all that, it's more like getting about $45,000, which is the same amount of monetary value of the benefits you'd be receiving for the government. So it really wouldn't make sense for you to get off of all the government assistance unless you're going to be making at least $60,000 a year. So that whole zone between 20000 and 60000 is the dead zone, where it, unless you can really see a clear path of how you're going to get from 20000 to 60000 nobody is going to embark on it. Why would you ever risk it? you're incentivized to just stay on the on the government assistance because any dollar that you make after that you lose your you lose your welfare benefits and, and the the marginal tax rate on it's like a hundred percent and no matter what they do no matter what sort of structure you have it's mathematically impossible to design a welfare and tax structure that doesn't at some point penalize a welfare recipient for earning more money you see, that's how they trap these people in these programs. And who's going to do that? Who's going to go through all of that effort, all of that work, just to possibly make that $60,000 a year and, and sacrifice all of those benefits you were getting? You don't have to get up to go to work. You don't have to deal with obnoxious employees. You don't have to pay any taxes on it. You don't have to figure out child care. You don't have to, you know, transportation to and from work that grind, getting on the train every morning, going to work when it's freezing cold out. You have all this leisure time now. These people aren't being lazy. They're making a calculated decision that makes perfectly good sense. Why would you go through all... Most people hate their jobs. Most people hate their day-to-day -day jobs. Why would you go through all of that just to barely do a little better than you are when you're on, on the government dole? And it's got to be demoralizing and daunting when you when you have something like that, when you're on that uh, assistance and you're staring down the barrel like, well, I have to make four or five times now what I'm making just to just for this to be beneficial to me. A lot of people can't see that far ahead. A lot of people don't want to take that risk and, and it traps people in welfare and licensing, I think, ha has a lot to do with this. OK, because the people who want to get off of, of these welfare programs, off of government assistance, what are they going to do, right? Well, let's say you want to become a barber. You want to cut hair. You're really good at braiding hair. You know, uh, black chicks especially, they're always, you know, they have to buy their hair from Malaysia and have it flown in, and then they got to get somebody to, like, suture it to their scalp, right? And there are very few people, at least they're in Chicago, who apparently do this and do it well. 
and it's illegal for anybody who's good at it to just do it out of their house, right? Because they have to be licensed. And, and the few people who are licensed get that stranglehold on the industry and they get to treat their customers like crap. They make them wait around for hours on end. They're, they're late, they're, they're overbooked, so they're working on two or three people at a time and, and they're taking their sweet ass time and they charge them a fortune, three, $400, something like that to suture a wig to your head. Uh, it's it's insane, but um, the the things that women do to uh, to look good for us. But let's say you wanted to pursue that as a career, and you maybe you're really good at braiding hair, and you have this you have this skill, and there's a market for it. Well, you can't, and you're on government assistance, and you're trying to think, well, what can I do? What what am I good at that that people want me to do? What sort of value can I provide to society? Well, I could braid hair. Maybe I'll just set up a little, I'll set up shop in my apartment or whatever. I got a second bedroom that I could do it in and, you know, I could put out Facebook ads or something like that. Well, no, you can't because the government's made that illegal now. And in order to do that, you have to go to beauty school. You have to take time out of your life to go to beauty school. You have to pay for that. Then you have to enter the workforce and you have to get training. You have to get a certain number of hours worth of training from a licensed professional before you yourself can get that license. Something like cosmetologists, they need 800 hours of training, and it depends on the state. In places like Oregon, they require 2,500 hours, and it, it could cost up to $1,500 to get that. But if you go to beauty school, it takes a couple, it's like two years, it's like 20 grand a year or something like that to, to, to braid hair to get the license to braid hair? And what does that do to people that are on these welfare programs? Like, let, okay, so uh, you, you do that, you pay thousands of dollars, you go to school, you spend two years in school getting a license for something that you already know how to do. Then you have to work in the field for several years to get to that $60,000 a year mark, just to get back to the level you were at when you were on welfare. So why would you do it? Why would you even try? Why risk all that? Why go through all the work, spend all the money that you don't have? You probably have to borrow it at this point. You got to borrow money to, to get the license. It's not like they're being lazy. They're making rational decisions. So what do these people do? What do they do? Well, instead of going through all of that, they vote for the candidate that will promise to expand their benefits. Why wouldn't they do that? See, but they'll never be free. They will always be dependent. They will always be dependent on the government to increase those benefits. And all the incentives line up for them to do the bare minimum. It's not designed to pull you out of poverty. It's not designed to, it's designed to keep you poor. It's designed to keep you dependent, to keep you discouraged. You destroy the hopes of, of people achieving a better life. Remember the government crutches that I always talk about? Well, welfare is just another example. The government is crippling you and then telling you how lucky you are that, well, you can at least survive on this government assistance. And maybe we'll expand it a little bit from time to time. You have a subsistence living, so you should be happy. You see, if it weren't for these programs, where would you be? Where would you be without this government program, right? You see, they've created an environment for everyone, anyone receiving these benefits where they've severely hindered their ability to climb their way to prosperity. 
and in lieu of prosperity, they've provided you with a welfare crutch. Then they get to tell you about how, how much they've helped you, all these wonderful programs and things that they've done. They get to point to all the wonderful things that, are, that they are allegedly providing you. What they don't want you to know is that if they weren't there breaking your legs in the first place, you wouldn't need their crutches to move, on, to move around, to move your way up the economic ladder. And I've used this ladder analogy before when discussing the minimum wage, where you're removing the bottom rungs of the ladder, making it more difficult to get onto the, the economic ladder and start climbing up. Well, those aren't the only rungs that are being removed by government programs, okay? Government laws, government regulations. They're pulling rungs out all the time from all over the ladder. Every new tax they levy, every new regulation they, they come up with, every occupational licensing law that they pass, every time one of these politicians does something, you know, you hear them say that shit all the time and it drives me absolutely crazy. Oh, he never does anything. Or we need government to do something. The do-nothing Democrats and blah 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 all that stuff. You hear this criticism of politicians all the time. Oh, he hasn't done anything. What's he ever done? He hasn't passed any legislation. And the problem in our society is that we view that as a bad thing. And it's not. Okay? It's a good thing. We don't want more laws. We don't want more regulation. We don't want more bills. We don't want more taxation. Every time a politician signs his name to a piece of legislation, we have become less free by definition, no matter what the circumstances. And every time they remove our freedoms and pass legislation, they are removing rungs from that economic ladder, from various parts. We all need those rungs on the ladder to climb up to prosperity. See, if they did nothing, all the rungs would be there. And climbing your way from poverty to prosperity, while it wouldn't be easy and it would take a long time, it would be attainable without a lot of risk, right? It could take a while, sure, but you've just got to climb slowly but surely from one rung to the next. That's easy. Anybody could do that. But now, with the minimum wage, the first few rungs are gone, and you have to make that leap up to the, the third or fourth rung of the ladder or whatever it is, right? With their tax code and their welfare benefits, the rungs from 18,000 to 60,000 are gone. So if you manage to get onto that ladder at all, if you overcome that minimum wage gap, you get to making around $20,000 a year. Now you have a big decision to make, don't you? You have to try and make the leap up above 60,000. Maybe you won't make it. There's certainly no guarantee. It's risky. It's scary. Why risk it? Why bother? You have a bird in the hand right now, right? The government-funded subsistence living. You see, this is something that uh, libertarians take a lot of heat for because we come across heartless and you know, we hate the poor, we only care about rich people or all that sort of stuff. And that's just not true. Uh, maybe it's, it's a failure on our part to articulate our position on these things. But I don't want you to have a subsistence living. You see, I want you to have a life of abundance. Abondanza, 
as we say in Italian. It's one of my favorite words. You shouldn't be satisfied just existing, just surviving. I mean, sure, that's all the government really cares about because that's all they need from you is just to exist. Because as long as you exist, you can vote for them. Your vote keeps them in power, and then they get to live in abundance off the backs of the American people, off of all the wealth that they're siphoning from us into D.C. And it's no accident that several of the richest counties in America are all in and around D.C. And in fact, the worse off you are, the more they trap you in poverty, the better it is for them. Because they've convinced you that your only option now, now that they've destroyed your ladder and broken your legs, is to vote for the politicians who will provide you with stuff. So the worse off you are, the more motivated you'll be to vote for them, and the more susceptible you'll be toward their bribes. But remember, they're bribing you with your own money. The idea that billionaires are going to pay for all this is a fantasy. It's pure fantasy. That's what they always tell you because that's how they can get their foot in the door. That's how they can get the authorization to start taxing you for these purposes. And then once they do and it turns out, oh, shit, there's not enough billionaires to fund all this, well, then the, the threshold comes down and the tax rate goes up. That's exactly what they did with the income tax. Go back and listen to my episodes on the income tax, and that's exactly what happened. They're bribing you with your own money one way or the other. They're either going to increase your taxes or they don't increase taxes at all, but they have to fund it through inflation, through the printing press. And inflation hits the poorest and the working class the hardest. It's a hidden tax that hurts the most vulnerable people in our economy, the poor and the middle class. All the incentives when it comes to government are negative. They always line up to keep people down, to keep perpetuating problems. They don't want to solve poverty. They want to perpetuate it. The, the worse problems get, the more money politicians get. Every time they fail at doing something, it's, it's, it's just because they need more funding. In the marketplace, the, the free market that everybody hates, right? And, and this new capitalism thing was trending on Twitter the other day. If I have time, I'm going to get into that. In the marketplace, all the incentive structures line up for people to prosper. People can only get rich by improving the lives of others. You want to get rich? You figure out a way to help other people, to solve a problem that lots of people are facing. And the more people face that problem, the richer you're going to get, the more customers you'll have. You provide value to somebody else, and the more value you can provide, the better off everyone will be yourself included. But politicians, they don't provide any value. They destroy it. They squander it. That is one of the main reasons why I and the rest of libertarians out there don't support these government programs. It's not because we're cold-hearted. It's not because we hate the poor. Uh, we understand that they have perverse unintended consequences, and that they only end up hurting the very people that they are supposedly designed to help. It's not that we hate the poor. It's not that we look down our noses at the less fortunate. It's precisely the opposite. We want more for you. We want everybody to be billionaires. And the best way of achieving that, the best way to pull the most people out of poverty, 
to create more wealth and more opportunity than any other system devised by man, at least so far, the best system that we've come up with is the free market enterprise system. And this whole thing, this whole thing was trending on Twitter last night. I think it was last night or yesterday. Um, new capitalism. Hashtag new capitalism. And it's basically a way of saying that we need socialism. As capitalism has failed, and we need this new version of capitalism, which includes all of these uh, government programs and, and social safety nets and welfare programs and things like that. The problem is not that capitalism has failed. The problem is that we abandoned capitalism a long time ago, over 100 years ago. You can track, I mean, the best place to just point to is the creation of the Federal Reserve. Okay, when you have a, a monopoly on the issuance of money, I don't see how you could, could construe that as a free market capitalism, uh, free market capitalistic society. But the thousands and thousands of pages of legislation, of regulation, of, of, we had the largest government in the planet that the world has ever seen. They take $5 trillion a year from the productive sectors of society and they distribute it to other places. We don't have capitalism anymore. That's the problem. The problem is that we've abandoned capitalism, that we've, we've become more and more socialistic. We've had more and more government intervention in the economy through things like occupational licensing, minimum wages, through the taxation and the, the whole tax code. Everything the government does is an intrusion on the free market. And everything they're doing since it's at, ultimately at the barrel of a gun, it's coercive, it's by force, you can pretty much conclude that it's not something that we would, that, the, uh, that people operating in a free market would want to do. It's not the most efficient allocation of resources, which is the entire goal of an economy. So the irony here is that as we've abandoned capitalism in favor of socialism, and all of those, social, those problems of socialism have screwed things up. All, all of these uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the whole cost of education, the whole cost of health care, housing. It's no coincidence that those are, all those industries are the ones that are most heavily regulated by the government, that have the least amount of free market forces in them. And these are all the things that people are complaining about. And for some retarded reason, they think that's capitalism. They think the federal government bailing out banks in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis was capitalism. It's not. They think government uh, provided loans to, to get a college degree is capitalism. It's not. They think the government regulating the shit out of a uh, healthcare industry, not letting insurance uh, companies go across state lines, I forget state lines, even country lines. The government took over the healthcare industry basically with Obamacare. But they somehow that's a, a failure of capitalism again. This is what they do they blame capitalism for failures of socialism and then prescribe more socialism as the solution. And that's the real irony here. Everything that these people are upset about, all these hashtag new capitalism guys, th the things that they're upset with is the socialism. And yet that's what they want more of. They want more of what's upsetting them, and they think that's going to make them better off. It won't. What we need to do 
is drastically roll back our government, drastically cut government, entire departments, entire agencies, slash the budget for everything. We're, we're spending $5 trillion a year now, and we're borrowing a trillion of it. What we need to do, we don't need new capitalism. We need to get back to the old capitalism, the one that built this country, the one rooted in individualism, property rights, and free markets. Not regulated markets, not government-controlled sectors of the economy. That, that's what's causing all of these problems. That's upsetting so many people. That's making it so difficult for people to get ahead now. Licensing laws are the perfect example. And this is one of the biggest bones I have to pick with the Republican Party because they pay all this lip service to capitalism and, and they pretend to be pro-business and pro-free markets and all this stuff when nothing could be further from the truth. They just talk about it and then they govern like Democrats. And so when they inevitably screw something up, when the economy goes to shit under a Republican regime, which is about to do, this bubble is going to pop now. If it hasn't already, this coronavirus is wreaking havoc on the markets. I talked about that a little bit on the last episode, and the Dow has just been tanking ever since. I, I, I pulled up a, a chart the last time, and I think I talked about these levels before. But we, we, we pulled into a structure level around 28, uh, about 28,000, right? And I think I, I mentioned that the next level down was about 27,000. Well, that's where it closed the next day. Then it gapped down from there, and um, it closed at about 25, 25.5, something like that. It gapped lower the next day, and it went as low as 24,700, okay? It went up a little bit. About, we're about 25,000 now, which is the, the last level of major structural support before we just fall off a cliff. There is nothing but air beneath 25,000 on this chart from a technical perspective. Next stop, 20,000. There's a little bit of support there. And then you're looking at 18,000. So this market could go almost get cut in half in a matter of weeks. And this whole time, Donald Trump's been taking credit for this tremendous economy, which was just one big, ugly bubble based on uh, artificially low interest rates and cheap money. But what's going to get blamed for it? Well, he's a capitalist, right? He's, he's this big uh, real estate mogul. He gave tax cuts to the rich, so that's what's going to get blamed for it. Oh, well, we gave uh, rich people tax cuts, and he deregulated some things. And Donald Trump's a Republican, and Republicans are capitalists, so this, this is a failure of capitalism now. So we need more socialism. When we haven't had capitalism for decades, for decades, and all of the things that are causing problems are government-driven. In this economy, they're distorting these markets. They're destroying the economy. They're sucking out five trillion dollars every year and squandering it on, on things like uh, all these things that people lobby for. All these government programs that just fail miserably. Well, they, they fail from our perspective. From the government's perspective, they're working just fine because they're not designed to, to pull you out of poverty. They're not designed to be successful from our perspective. They're just designed to perpetuate government and get them more money. This is very important because we are on the precipice of a, a major economic downturn. 
If it hasn't started already, it will start very soon. And what's going to happen is, of course, the government will point to anything other than themselves as the cause of this problem. They'll blame it on the coronavirus, okay? The Republicans will. The Democrats will blame it on tax cuts for the rich. The government never, according to the government, they're never at fault. And they're going to prescribe more of the things that are making us sick as a country. And we're only going to get sicker until they, they eventually kill off the patient, which is what happens every time countries embark on this socialist agenda. Every single time. You would think, you know, the lessons of the last hundred years or so might, uh, it might dawn on people. I could understand if this was a couple hundred years ago and these ideas hadn't been tried and just failed miserably, why they would appeal to some people. But at this point, we should all know how dangerous these ideas are and how unproductive they are. Because what, what socialists don't seem to understand is that wealth can be created. Wealth is created. The socialists view it as a fixed economic pie, and it's not. And what they want to do is they want to take the level of, of the economy as it is and freeze it, meaning we will no longer grow that economic pie. They, like, they take a snapshot of things and freeze it the way it is, take all of the resources, all of the wealth that's been created, and distribute it to the people that they feel are the most deserving, from each according to his ability to each according to their needs, right? See, they don't understand that you can create more wealth and everybody gets wealthier. The whole economic pie grows. No, no, they want to stop that baking of the pie and divvy up what we have. Eventually, you're going to run out of things. Eventually, you're going to run out of pie. But this is, what's, this is what Bernie Sanders is prescribing, more government intervention in, in housing, more government intervention in education, more government uh, intervention in health care when it's the government intervention that's screwing up the, the free market mechanisms. Okay? It's the government intervention that's destroying everything, and they're prescribing, in typical fashion, more of what's killing us. And it's going to be very tempting. They're going to make an emotional case why you need to support that. If you don't support Medicare for all, oh, you're a heartless person. You just want the poor and the sick and the elderly to die off. You don't want anybody to be able to afford health care. It's going to be very tempting to fall into that trap and support those types of policies. But you, what you have to remember is that any short-term gains from, from that that you may get from those types of policies, oh, we're going to wipe out your student loan debt or something, will come at the expense of long-term health of the, the economy, the country, everything. Do not fall into this trap that every single country that has embarked on socialism has fallen into, which is, oh, we, you know, we just want to be Denmark now. We just want to be Sweden. This is what he says after he praises Venezuela and Venezuela falls apart, after he praised the, uh, the Soviet Union right before they collapsed. Listen, Venezuela didn't want to be Venezuela either. Sure, they wanted to be Denmark. Denmark's not a socialist country. They have a, a very large uh, social safety net, very large welfare programs, and even that's not working out well for them. You see, socialism can only work after you've created all this wealth and prosperity through capitalism, and then you freeze that where that is, 
and you distribute it until it's gone. All right, so that even Denmark is rolling back a lot of these socialist policies that they put in place over these years. Same goes with all of those other Nordic countries, okay? We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be looking to just get this subsistence living uh, out of the economy. We, we should want to grow the economy. And socialism doesn't grow the economy. It freezes it where it is and distributes what, whatever's left. And the vast majority of that always ends up going to the politically connected. And the rest of us are, are just poor peasants. Do not be fooled by these government promises. Do not fall victim to the siren song of socialism. Realize that we can grow the economy. We can create wealth. We can all create more wealth and more opportunity for everyone around us if we participate in actual free market economics and we get the government out of the way. But as long as the government's there intervening, screwing up the allocation of resources, making it more difficult for people to start businesses, to, to climb that economic ladder, to um, get their, their business off the ground, get their hair braiding started, get their barbershop started, get their flower shop started. These licensing laws, they create barriers to entry to make it harder for uh, poor people and the middle class to break into a job market. Since they make it harder for people to start businesses and, and to break into that market, less businesses are created, less jobs are available for people. We get fewer jobs. We have to pay more for the services, the goods and services that these industries are producing. It concentrates power into the hands of a few bureaucrats and a few powerful companies. They always talk about breaking up these big companies. Well, start with the occupational licensing laws. Start with the regulation that's, that's allowing them to shield themselves from competition. The more the government gets involved, the harder it is for us to succeed. And I, I'm going to wrap there, guys. If you like the show today, do me a favor. Give me a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. And share it with somebody. I, I'm sure you know somebody who might be receptive to this message or who just needs to hear it. So share it. And if you follow me on Twitter, share the show from there. You know, I, I've seen a couple people sharing the show recently. And not only does that warm the cockles of my heart, but it's a great way of getting the show out there to all your followers who might, you know, take your word, take your recommendation for it. So share the show on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter if you want access to the greatest meme folder on the face of the earth. And if you want to become a supporting member of the show, as always, you can do that at peddlingfictionpodcast.com. I do not keep any of that money. That is my promise to you. It just goes right back into the show to build content and increase our reach. And if you can do all that, I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.